Father, thank you for um, this day. I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for allowing us to be together as a, a young adult group, uh, but also within the broader body here on a Sunday morning, a day Father, that you have called us to be together, to sit under the teaching of your word, to encourage each other, to sing your praises, and to take a day of rest and uh, be refreshed and spiritually renew ourselves and our minds, um, our motives, as we uh, re-enter a new week. And I ask that you be with us today as we do those things. And Father, please speak through me as we look at the book of Hebrews. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in Hebrews chapter 11, so go ahead and jump there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1. All right. Can anybody here give the group a recap of the book of Hebrews? You know, we're doing a series, and so I think it's valuable to, uh, you know, make sure everybody's caught up to steam because not everyone's here every week, and somebody might be here for the first time. And these are, uh, they, they all are connected, but they um, can be standalone lessons, too, as we look at it. So does anybody, can anybody give the recap of Hebrews? Do it, Bones. Yes, I can. Like, in chronological order, uh, <laughs> recap. basically, uh, Christ supremacy, um, that he's our high priest, um, that he was the sacrifice, there's no more sacrifices, basically warning and exhortation to persevere and continue in the faith, and to, this is my own words, but when you're out of steam, put on the steel spikes and keep going. I like it. And endure. So. Good, yeah. That's, I think it's right on. It's written to believers um, that were uh, running hard after the gospel, uh, were Christ followers, but had lost some steam. That's what you're talking about. So it's a book of exhortation, like Bones said, as well as uh, encouragement and reminder of the gospel. And so they need kind of a, a push, if you will, to, uh, to be reminded that Jesus is the better way, the over arching uh, word for the book of Hebrews is better. The word um, appears many, many times. So, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1. Let's look at this together. It says this, uh, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I'm going to spend a fair amount of time on the whiteboard, because uh, as I studied this text, um, it made more sense to me uh, a little bit visually, and so I hope that this will help. So I like the beginning of this, because it starts off with, uh, it gives some definitions to faith, though it's important to see that it's, this is not the total definition of faith. This is just an element of faith that the author is focusing on as he's addressing the specific issues of the believers that had lost steam in the book of Hebrews. So we have faith here, and he gives some meat on the bones, um, and he calls it a sure hope and a conviction. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old, which the bulk of this text is speaking of those that have gone before and have lived their lives of faith, and it gives examples, very specific examples of their life of faith. Verse 2, for by it, the people of old received their commendation or their reward. By it, they receive their reward. I'm going to rewrite this so it's a little neater. I'm trying to be a neat whiteboard writer, <laughs> and I struggle. A sure hope and a strong conviction. Now, here's the thing about faith as it's defined here. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? The emphasis is not yet received. Uh, the conviction of the things not seen, not yet in their possession of. So faith is a sure hope and a strong conviction of something that is coming but is not theirs yet. And what we see in the middle is what we're going to call the promise. All right, The promises that God has made, which is the foundation of their hope of a coming reward. All right, so the whole notion of a promise is something that you can something that you can trust. It is something that would fall into the world of, of concrete because it has been spoken. It's not just I got a vibe from you that you're going to work things out for me, or just, not just a notion, or not just a um, let's weigh things out in the end and see how it turns out. But it's it's a promise, and these are speaking of promises from God, but. They are not yet received. Not yet received. So promised, but not yet received. And I'm going to do this little dotty circle. It's kind of a the hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. So faith is looking through the promise to the coming reward. Okay? Now, verse 3 is interesting. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And there, there are two different ways to look at this verse. Um, the first way is to, is to look at it and say, okay, so by faith we look as Christians at the created universe and we see it as evidence. You tracking with that? And so therefore we see evidence and we have faith that therefore God has, has made these things. I was reading some commentaries on this text and John Calvin, back when, uh, wrote a commentary on the book of Hebrews and he was looking at this text, and he basically said, uh, that idea, though, though true, really seems out of place. Because it's talking about faith, um, which is unseen, and it talks about re- reward that you receive when you have that faith. And then it goes into great detail. It talks about people who had faith for, for future reward. And he, he interpreted this verse a little bit differently, and I think it's really interesting. I want to share it with you, but he said... When you look at this verse, verse 3, this is, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And he says that this verse is really a further example of this premise in verses 1 and 2. You have uh, the world here, right? And then you have uh, um, the things that we see, all right? And you, you see the world, and it, it draws questions. It, it, it begs questions. How could this be? Where did this come from? Where did, where did we come from? And what John Calvin says is, is that everybody asks those questions, whether you're, you're a believer or not. And we see in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, it says that, all, that God has unmasked himself by his creation. You know, and we see in Psalm 19 that the heavens and the earth declare who God is. And so he says the difference between regular, or not regular, but believers and non-believers is that what we do as believers is we see this as a word or as a promise, and we look through it and we see something greater, something more sure, something that brings reward, something that brings confidence, something that brings salvation. Does that make sense? So that we see the world, something concrete, which was given to us, uh, but we trust it and we see God through it, which essentially is, is the first interpretation of, of, of verse 3 there. Um, but I thought that was interesting, and I think that it really plays a role there. So I wanted to share that with you as we move on. Now, as we look at verses three or uh, 4 through 12, we have a list of examples of people who have lived by faith. So, let's keep reading. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he was commended or rewarded as righteous. And God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I'm going to make a list of, of these people up here. All right, so we've got Abel. Uh, we see his story in Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 7. And it says that Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. On the spring retreat, we talked uh, through uh, the progression of the story of the Bible. And we gave a definition to something that's called progressive revelation. This is how it's defined. Progressive revelation. That God continued to clarify himself and his plan with more scriptures until the canon or the total Bible was complete. Progressive Revelation says that God continued to clarify himself and his plan with more scripture until the canon was complete. If you would turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 16. Matthew 13, 16. Somebody read 16 and 17, please. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So this is the book of Matthew, New Testament, and is speaking to those that are in the first century church, saying that those that have gone before you longed to see further clarification of promises that were given. So Abel is at the beginning, you know? Adam, Eve, Cain and Abel, right? I mean, it is at the very beginning. But yet, at the very beginning, it talks about God having a relationship with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. And when you look at this story in Genesis chapter 4, God's interaction with Cain before the murder is actually very, very kind and very gentle. Uh, it's, it's, I would call it tender when God approaches Cain about his lesser sacrifice. And Abel is, is referenced here um, because it says that he had a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. But the thing is, is that the things that Cain offered were good things. And so the difference between the, the more acceptable sacrifice was his very faith. So some people kind of make uh, connections and analogies of like, well, one was fruit and one was an animal and this and that and that and this. And like, I'm not sure where we, where we find that scripture because the Mosaic law hadn't been given yet, you know. But enough of God had been revealed to Adam to show what faithfulness looked like. Faithfulness to the point of salvation. So, we have a timeline here. All right, we have birth. We have death. And we have a point of faith. And somewhere on the course of time, there's something called reward. And what we know now, because we are in post-New Testament times, is that in this timeline here, we've got the cross. Okay? And so, God had revealed himself enough to Abel for him to be faithful in a salvific way. Alright? And that he had offered a sacrifice that, that showed his faithfulness enough to save him. And so that he offered that sacrifice with enough faith, but looking through the future that he did not fully understand towards a reward. And at the end of this little micro story of Abel, it says, and through, at the end of verse 4, and through his faith that goes beyond his death, he still speaks. Because we're talking about him now. <laughs> he died a long time ago. And he is referenced for all of Christendom, as an example of faith. Isn't that cool? Because he was looking forward, because of the promise, through to something reward. And he did not have total clarity on what that was going to look like. But he knew enough 
we see at the beginning of Genesis that God said that there will be enmity between your seed and his seed, and that there will be a day of reckoning when his head will be wounded and your heel will be wounded, foreshadowing progressive revelation to something that will be further clarified through the steps of time that we now have the privilege of looking back to and seeing that it was the cross that it was referenced to. But Abel, at his point, was given enough information to have enough faith to live faithfully to the point of salvation that went beyond his death because his faith was built on something that was coming and he was looking forward to it. Do you think uh, Abel was in himself uh, like a blemish, free sacrifice, um, kind of alluding to... You know, he had faith, and so, I don't know, kind of like alluding to the sacrifice of Christ itself in any way. There was significance there. I don't think so. No. I think you could draw some of those connections. Um, we know very little about Abel. <laughs> you know, we know this story. I mean, I know he himself wasn't blemish-free, mm-hmm. but his sacrifices were. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a righteous man who died, mm-hmm. a righteous man, mm-hmm. you know, because he made sacrifices that's how he was justified before God mm-hmm. so, uh, what's interesting here is as we as we go through these stories is their faith is shown strongest and mostly at the end of their life showing that the whole nature of faith is progressive that moves beyond the death line and it, these, this text will further clarify that verse 5 By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended, there's that word again, rewarded, as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who see him. Enoch is found in Genesis chapter 5, 21 to 24. Enoch is an interesting character, and again, we don't know a ton about him, but he is one of two people in the whole Bible uh, who has never died. Uh, Elijah was taken up uh, with chariots of fire, um, and really all that we know about Enoch was that he was a faithful man, and that he was, and that he was no more. And nearly all scholars agree that the Lord took him without him receiving a physical death. Why? We don't have total clarity on that. But what we do know about him is that he was commended as the faithful. So again, in verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, pause, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he, and then two things, one, exists, and two, that he rewards, reward. I don't know about you, but I was raised in the church, but I was raised in a little bit more of a um, legalistic environment. Not totally, but a little bit. And the whole notion of reward kind of seems a a little wrong in the sense that subconsciously I feel like I was taught that you need to do the right thing just because it's the right thing. Because that's what God has asked you to do. And that should be enough. Does that resonate with anybody? But there is a clear description, and it is screaming at us here, that there is reward. And it is okay to be motivated by reward. Now, obviously, this whole thing is about faith. So it's not excluding faith. Uh, so Cain offered a sacrifice, uh, you know, looking likely for reward, but faith wasn't a part of it. So we can't, you know, we can't erase the, the, the faith and the reward uh, pieces. But we need to acknowledge here that Enoch believed and had faith, and it pleased God. And so he's listed in this hall of faith, 
of people because he both believed that God exists and two, that he believed that God rewards those who believe in him. And so this is a good thing for us to acknowledge that, that there, is, there is something better, that this promise is a really, really good thing with infinite ramifications of blessing, infinite ramifications of blessing. And that it is so strong and so powerful that we can trust it and look forward to it. That Enoch believed God and that he rewards. Um, uh, Verse 7. Sorry for my pause there. Verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We have Noah. In Genesis 7 to 9, it says that Noah was warned by God, and he was told about things, um, and he responded by the building of an ark, uh, but he didn't... He, Nobody had ever seen a flood before. Um, I hated the movie Noah. Anybody see that? Wretched, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not just talking about like artistic, you know, value. Um, I wanted to, anyway. Um, that Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark, and his faith resulted in two different blessings. One was temporal. It says in the saving of his family. And one was eternal in that he became an heir of righteousness. So faith had a consequence both here on this earth for Noah and the same with Enoch because it says that he was blessed before he was taken. Same with Abel, because it says that he received his commendation before his death, but also after. So that faith is and can involve blessing both in this line between faith and death, but also um, in the receiving of the reward. Verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, in Genesis 12, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham went out when he was called by God to go, but God did not tell him where, which would be incredibly frustrating for any, any one of us. I mean, can you imagine the type of faith that, uh, that brings you to the point of somebody saying, you need to pack up and start down 26, you know, get it, rent a U-Haul and just head on out. Because when Lauren and I are driving and we're listening to the annoying voice of the GPS, which I ask her to turn down. You know, and Lauren will say, we're supposed to be on this, we traveled this weekend, so she'll say, we've got to be on this road for seven miles, and, and I'm always wanting to know what's next. Am I taking a left, or am I taking, what am I looking for? Is it, is it a light? Is it an intersection? What's the name of the road? And GPS doesn't always tell you that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think I annoy, I annoy Lauren, but he was commended as faithful because he held to the promises and said, I will go. And he was looking for the city whose designer is God. For a coming reward. Verse 10. He was looking forward to the city that has its foundation, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man... And him, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
have Sarah. Genesis 21, 1-7. There are a couple different women referenced in this hall of faith. And I want to just pause here and draw attention to that. Because um, we see throughout Scripture a, uh, a specific addressing of, of women in significant ways. There's a lot of people who have looked at, 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 at the history of mankind, especially back in Bible times, and, so, and, and look at the low esteem culturally that women received. You know, different status, um, whether it was stay at home or, I mean, even women's rights in the United States took a long time to get here. And there are certain parts of the world right now where women are treated differently or treated poorly. Um, Eve, uh, in the garden, was treated with very high esteem. Um, We are called uh, early on in Scripture to honor your father and your mother specifically, which culturally back in the day, it was more of a obey the father. Uh, But the Bible uh, brings women into the picture. And uh, there are numerous examples, and there are more women that are listed here. And I think that it's an amazing thing to recognize that, that the Bible speaks depth and truth and and is not this is not just a list of, of of men who have walked before but this is a list of of sarah who was given a promise by god okay and, and it, that made no sense it, it made no sense which is why she's committed as faithful but she believed that some way that 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 seemed to, to stretch stretch beyond reason, definitely beyond medical science both then and now, that she would conceive, you know? And she was commended as faithful and listed on the plaque of examples of the faithful. And at the end of this chapter, it says, and we don't have time to talk about this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and all the prophets is what it says, which is so many people. But it highlights Sarah and other women here. And I think that that's awesome. And I think that's of note for us here. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. She trusted through the promise with her eyes looking towards the reward. Therefore, one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. Now the book of Hebrews takes a pause from its list of heroes. Verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak Thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. These verses confused me for the longest time growing up. These all died in faith, meaning that these examples at a time of their birth and a time of their death, but they had faith and they died while believing, not receiving the things yet promised, but having seen them from afar and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. So during this time, they saw that this world was not their home. They were just a passing through. <laughs> Hear that old song? For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that, of that land from which they had gone out, this one here, they would have had an opportunity to return. All right. So for them to turn their faith from eternal things and to look down and put their faith in the here and now, to put their faith in 
their own lineage, to put their faith in their own ability, to put their faith in their own family, to put their faith in their own capabilities, to put their faith in their own resources. They had that opportunity, but they did not. As it is, they desire a better country, one that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17 picks back up with a list. It says, By faith, Abraham, again, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac, Shall your offspring be named? And he considered that God was able to even raise him from back, uh, raise him back from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did, and receive him back. So we see a second. I'm going to put this reference here. Twelve. Now the story of Isaac. That he had received a promise that through Isaac, um, the promise would be fulfilled, and this made no sense. God, would, God, why would you have me offer up my only child as a sacrifice? But I will do what you have called me to do, and trust wholeheartedly, and believe through the promise that there will still be reward. And God provided both temp- in a temporal way by saving Isaac's life, but also in an eternal way. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. We see that in Genesis 27. We see in verse 21 that by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Uh, Genesis 48. Now, the story of Isaac and Jacob here, it's just one sentence each for these guys. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff, looking towards a future confident blessing, saying that even though I am dying now, I am so sure I have a certain hope and a strong conviction of the coming reward that is for our line, because God has promised it to us. Verse 22, it says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Genesis 50. So even though the exodus was 400 years away, Joseph knew that Egypt was not the end, that there was going to be a return to the promised land. He didn't know when. God hadn't fully revealed himself yet to him, but that he believed in the promise that God had made. Verse 23, we see, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. All right, so this is a story of faith by Moses' parents. In Exodus 2.2. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So because of the coming promises, they were fearless, even to the point of risking their very lives. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, uh, rather than enjoying... The fleeting pleasures of sin, Exodus 2.10. Now this is where it gets interesting. Let me reread this piece of Moses, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he wanted and was willing to take great reproach because of the future promised reward. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, 
for he was looking to the reward. You see that? That Moses was looking to Christ. Moses didn't have all the pieces. He didn't have all the facts. God's revelation was not complete yet. Yet, the author of Hebrews is drawing a connection that this faith looked to the promise of a coming Messiah who would offer the ultimate, final, complete sacrifice, making way for the ultimate reward of being an heir of God in the city of God, the true home and country which is heaven in a city whose designer is God. There's a reference of Abraham, or excuse me, of Moses having faith in what he, what the, the, the amount that God revealed to him of Christ even millennia before. Um, verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29, it says, By faith the people, meaning the children of Israel, crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do, this, to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And Joshua 6. All right, so it gives two stories of the children of Israel here. First, that they uh, crossed the Red Sea and that their enemies were defeated behind them. And second, that they circled Jericho for seven days and God dropped the walls so that they could conquer and enter the promised land. Both of these things just don't make sense. We look back and we see, hey, cool, miracle, God's story. You know, really cool, man. We should all trust God like that. But I mean, how many times have we been faced with our enemies? Now, none of us have been faced with, you know, hordes of Egyptian chariots. But we have enemies, you know. We have circumstances. Um, and so often, because of our, 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 our sinful mind and our just being human, our reaction is, you know what, I've got to turn and I've got I to gotta fight these guys. I've got to use my resources you know, I got to use my skill, my ability to conquer the onslaught of my jerk boss, or my messed up family, or my past uh, indiscretions <laughs> with relationships or family. I got, I got to be the one that's fixing this stuff. When Israel was faced with a problem, with their enemies charging down. They simply acted in faith and stepped out into something that made no sense into the Red Sea, and God did his work. That, that, that it wasn't on the list of things, you know? When the children of Israel were like, okay, we can fight, you know? Or we can die, <laughs> or we can, I mean, they couldn't really hide, but it, like, list option number four wasn't, why don't, why don't we split the Red Sea? That's a, good, that's a good idea for us. It was God. And the same thing with Jericho. It was a city that wasn't, to, wasn't supposed to be defeated. It had strong walls. And God asked them to do something that just didn't make a whole lot of sense, but they just stayed faithful with it. Not, not saying, I'm going to do this because I know specifically that on day seven, God is going to do these things. But on day one, God said, just march around this place. You know? It's like it's, it's the equivalent of attacking a city with a squirt gun. It, it doesn't do anything. You know? We're just marching. Because God said so, and the people in Jericho probably looked down and they're like, weird, but at least they're not attacking. <laughs> you know? And the day two, God, do it again. I believe, God. I, I don't understand. It, I, I, I can see like 18 other better ways, but okay. Day three, again? We're starting to look like fools out here. They had to have been wondering that. You know? In their heart of hearts. And then day seven, for just to be like, and the walls crashed, literally? I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but it was because of their faith. I mean, it's listed here. Because their faith brought those walls down by the power of God. Because they looked through the promise into something they were living for that, that, that reward that was out there. That's where their hope was. That's where their motivation was. 
to, to keep going in spite of, like, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Like, I, I really, I don't, I don't see this working out. But they had faith. talked about motivation like as far as rewards um, I've always wondered like in seeking rewards my motivation is it wrong to seek it for me because I think about the parable of the prodigal son and both sons wanting what their father had they didn't want their father's love but they went about it in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so, I guess what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is, is it wrong to be motivated by, I mean, having faith, but motivated by, oh, I want to get this reward, so I'm gonna... It's a both and. It has to be. It has to be. And I think that's part of the glory of it that um, there are times when we don't feel like being faithful, you know? We don't feel like it. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like dealing with that sin that's in my life. I don't feel like in a godly way addressing that person that has actually wronged me. I, I, I don't feel like um, resisting the temptation to look at something I shouldn't. I, I, and that, and, and in faith, in that situation, it says, you know what? I've got to put my eyes on something greater and just say, if I, if I just stay the line, God's, God's, it's, it's just going to be better for me. You know? It's just going to be better for me. And that's okay. And that's okay. I think about that. I mean, in my relationship with Lauren, I mean, any marriage has got ups and downs, and we've got times where we're really getting along and times where we're kind of butting heads, and there are times where it's like, you know what? God has called me to act a certain way, and when when I do, He's I believe He's going to bless that, you know, that I got to swallow my pride, you know, that I I, I gotta I, I gotta love even when it's not always easy and peachy all the time, right? And there's great reward in that, and then there and and there are times when I think it's okay for us to say, you know what, I don't understand, but I believe because of what God has said that He works most, and when He works. There's joy that sprinkles, you know, and that he works most through my obedience. And so therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this line because of something greater. I'm going to walk through this storm. I'm going to walk through these insults. It says Moses received the reproach of men. You know, he took himself out of a palace, literally, because of a greater. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute. How about that as your title? Did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, again, another woman, and a woman who had a terrible reputation, is acknowledged as somebody that we're supposed to be like because of her faith. And what element of her faith? It was really her repentance. Because when the spies came into the city, she said to them, I believe in your God. She's not, she not an Israelite. But I believe in your God and that he is the way. And she received her salvation because of her faith and is listed as these people that we are supposed to mimic. That she turned from her ways, she believed in the true God, and her life was saved along with her family, and her soul was saved, and not only saved, but given an example for all of Christendom. Verse 32. What more can I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. These are... Uh, when... The line of, of faith and reward and how it manifests, manifests itself in the temporal and how it manifests itself eternal 
is a tough line to walk, y'all. I mean, where do you slide into health and wealth? You know? Hold on. Because these verses, these verses, these next couple of verses start off with the glories of faith that we can see temporally, and then it moves right into the, the despair of some of those who have remained faithful because of a greater reward. So let's look at the contrast of these two. All right? Again, faith, 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 living it out for, because your eyes are set on a greater reward. Verse 33, some of these who through faith conquered kingdoms. This is not an overstatement. This is not a figurative statement. Conquered kingdoms. Awesome. That would be great. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of, mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. And they were made strong in their weakness. And they became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. And women received back their dead by resurrection. You know? I mean, you walk down this road right, right, right into health and wealth. But yet God, in his sovereign, mysterious wisdom, at times, blesses temporally through faith. But followed it up right in the middle of that very sentence, some were tortured. And they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And there are others who suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword and they went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were mistreated of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts as nomads and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. It is important for us to recognize that the difference the difference is, 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 is where your eyes are set. And in God's mysterious sovereignty and providence, we don't know. But faith says you will toe that line. And when things are awesome, you will stay faithful. And when they are in such despair, you can't imagine it getting worse, you stay faithful. And I don't know which one's more dangerous. Because I know my heart. And I tell you, when times are good, you know what I'm talking about, right? When times are good, when things are going your way, man, isn't it easy to, to slim on your quiet time and to not begin to think maybe I'm doing these things? Gosh, I, I, I do that all the time. Because right now, life is pretty good for me. And, but to say, my eyes must be not on the here and now, not on the blessings, or not on how things are going my way, but they still must be looking towards this greater reward and trusting that that is so much better, even than the good now. And then we've all heard the stories of people walking through depths of despair, I, mean, I think of the Bourne family who lost their 17-year-old a couple weeks ago. And they are sitting there saying, we know that there's a better promise. We know that there is hope in spite of these things that we wish hadn't have happened. We know that he's in a better place. We know our God is good. And walking that line of faith and staying faithful to the end of our life because our eyes are not set on this world. Our, our eyes are not set on our job. Our, our eyes are not set on our marital status. Our eyes are not set on our amount of debt. Our eyes are not set on how, how well or, or poorly things are going. Not that we don't deal with that stuff. Not that we don't walk on the dirt that is called earth. But that our eyes are set on that greater reward. Verse 39. And it says, All of these, we just went through all of these though commended or, or rewarded through their faith did not receive what was promised 
since God had promised or had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Another word for perfect here would be complete or finished. That God has a sovereign plan that is not individualistic. That he has a plan that includes those that have walked before us and those that have come behind us. And though we are living here in our timeline, our life, our birth, and our death, that it's not just us, that this is not an individual pursuit of God, that we are a part of a bigger plan of redemption, and through God revealing himself to us, and we get the privilege of seeing his total revelation of Jesus Christ, that God is saying that these, this cloud of witnesses is receiving their promise in conjunction with us receiving our promise. That they are being made perfect because we have been brought in further down the line. Verse tw- or chapter 12, verse 1. Look at that. It says, Therefore, because of these things that I've just outlined in our faith, in our conviction of things unseen, and looking through it to a greater reward, and how every single one of these men and women that have gone before had a life, and a death, but yet they had a faith that carried through their death, that carried through the uh, coming Messiah, even if they didn't have every picture and image of what that was going to look like, to a greater reward that they would become an heir, that they would be a part of the city of God, and a home, and a better country that is heaven, and a place whose builder is God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, in the same way, do what they were doing. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance forward the race that is set before us. And you know what is set before us? This is our race. And we don't know if there's going to be crappy things or bad things that are going on, but we are called to run that race with endurance that is set before us. Because our eyes are fixed on the reward. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. That word perfecter there is a connector to the last word made perfect that we just read in the last verse of chapter 11. Because Jesus has perfected this faith that the ancients had the perfecter of our faith, who, listen to this, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him. So even as Jesus lived his life, he lived in such endurance, not because of the here and now, but because of the joy that was set before him, the greater reward. He endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He has received his reward. This is the call for you and I is to look at this reward just like the ancients. To live our life with our eyes on the reward and not on this earth. Now that's, you know that, but we've got to hear that again because those in the book of Hebrews needed to hear it again. Last week or two weeks ago when we spoke, we said... Um, Hebrews chapter 10 says this, You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It is saying, you have need of endurance. Not just, hey, you know what, we all... You know, <laughs> this is a very specific, a, a specific charge. You have need of endurance. That's why the book was written. You have need of endurance. Not just broadly speaking, hey, we could all be doing better. But you have need of endurance. And I'm going to give you a list of people who have endured for you to model yourself after. And I've written a little little summary of these people. Okay? Abel. He offered an acceptable sacrifice. 
He gave. He gave of his stuff, you know, whether you want to equate that to offerings or actual tithing. But he gave an acceptable sacrifice in faith to God, and he was commended as faithful. Enoch said that he was pleasing to God in his life, that he both believed that God existed and that he believed that he rewarded those, and he lived for that very purpose. Noah trusted even though the flood was unseen. He didn't know what was coming. But God called him to do a work that just didn't make sense to anybody around him. And even though people were mocking him and making fun of him, he just stayed faithful to what he was called to do in spite of it. Abraham was set out on a very unclear path. It was confusing. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know why, except that God had promised, I will take you to a place that will be yours, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Sarah She believed that God would keep his side of the promise, even though she was old. And it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any medical sense. And I'm I'm sure that she just rolled it over in her head. How could this be? How could this be? How could this be? But I still believe, outside of myself and outside of whatever is physical, that you will do what God, you have said you will do. Isaac and Jacob were both so sure of the promise that they communicated it clearly to their offspring. And even Joseph, on his deathbed, said, take my bones back to the promised land. That he was making plans, even in his death, after his death, and said, I am so sure that this is what I'm going to be about. Hey, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, know that I believe these things, and that I want you to carry my very bones back, because we're going. Even though I'm dying, we're going. Moses' parents were fearless, even though the king, the pharaoh, had said, you must give up your children for execution. They say, we believe in something bigger and something better, and that we don't know how or we don't know where, but God will provide a way. That Moses himself took great reproach, removing himself from, from a better position, removing himself from the palace. Danny, would it be fair to say, in lieu of all these examples, that you see someone who's not suffering, and who's not working for the brighter future, that they are not living by faith? No. Well, say that question again. So, if you see someone who's not working and is not suffering for that brighter future, uh, for God's glory, would it be fair to then say that they are not living by faith? I believe that the scriptures teach faith shows itself. And these are the examples of it showing itself. Um, And if you look at somebody's life and you see no fruit, I think the Bible says an apple tree looks like an apple tree. And then there's that line of, I don't know their heart. I don't know their situation. And I've fallen in that trap a hundred times. So, where it goes from there is between you and God. The charge, I believe, that the author of Hebrews is laying on us today is, are our eyes set on this reward? Is that why we're living? Does that cross our mind as we go through the day? Does that, is that the fuel that helps us get through the crap of life? The uncertainties, the confusions... Are we living with our eyes set beyond our death? And not just a vague hope of, yeah, I'm a Christian and I know that my soul is secure. But what we have as believers is the opportunity to look backwards through the cross because he has gone before and live towards that greater reward. Does that make sense? That we have the opportunity, unlike the ancients, Because God has revealed himself already to us. We know the certainty of the gospel. And and it has gone, it's behind us. So for us to look backwards at the cross and see what Christ has done as as all that was set before him and he endured, that we can now, because of that, be fueled and motivated to move forward ourselves. This is the call on the believer, and I think it is a difficult call. 
considering that, they have really no excuse not to have faith. They had faith in something that didn't come for thousands of years, and we, it's already happened. We have no excuse, basically. We don't. <laughs> it's a tough, this is tough. And this, I, there's, there's an opportunity for this to be a little bit Sunday school you know? Like, hey, you know what? So the moral of the story is, hey, have faith, or I'd be dismissed. <laughs> you know, this is tough. But I think the importance here, and this is what I want to challenge you to do, and if you were taking notes, is look at these verses and say, what, what was it about their situation that they had faith in? And say, how does that apply to my life? Because these, I mean, they're, they're, there's no clearer way. The author is saying, this is what faith looks like, all right? So if you're struggling, go look at these people and look in more depth. You know, look up these verses and say, what does faith look like in my life, in my situation, as motivated by the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those that have gone before us. I thank you that we're not alone. Father, I thank you that we're not alone now within this body of Christ. Father, may our eyes truly be set on you and the work that Christ has done through the cross. And Father, anticipate with great joy a reward. And that that would be our motivation for life. In Jesus' name, amen.